following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information about Trinity Grace Church, go to www.trinitygracesa.org. Well, good morning. Once again, we're so glad that you're with us, especially if you're a guest this morning. If I hadn't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Michael, and I'm the pastor here at Trinity Grace. And some of you will know that we're in the middle of a series, a series looking at the Gospel of Mark that'll hopefully take us through Easter here on Sunday mornings. And today, if you have a Bible, you're going to want to open to Mark chapter 5. The passage is also printed for you in your worship folder. We're going to be looking at a passage this morning that almost seems like it's made up, almost seems like it's something straight out of Hollywood. And it's important to remember before we read, like all events that we read in the scriptures, that this event actually happened in real time and in real space. It happened to a real person, somebody that we might meet on the other side of this life, somebody that I would love to talk to for a long extended period of time in the new heavens and the new earth. Before we read, I want you to think about a question. I wonder if someone asked you why Jesus came to this world, how would you respond? Some people think of Jesus as a great moral teacher who came to instruct humanity. Others think uh, Jesus was a great leader who came to begin a movement that spread throughout the world. Still others tend to think of Jesus as a sage who came to impart wisdom on earth. I wonder if you've ever considered why Jesus came into this world, what was his mission? This morning, I'd love for you to consider the idea that at least one of the things, at least one of the things that Jesus came to do is to bring restoration to your life and to this world. In fact, it's one of the primary reasons Jesus came to earth. He came to seek and to save the lost. We're going to look at a passage today where we see Jesus coming and bringing hope to a hopeless situation. It's a passage where we see unbelievable brokenness and sin, and we see how Jesus responds to the brokenness and the sin that he encounters. It's a passage full of hope for you and me, because we are broken people who need restoration. In this passage, we see that Jesus wants to meet us where we're at. We say this often at Trinity Grace. He wants to meet us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us there. doesn't leave us there. He wants to bring life and freedom from our bondage to sin. To see what I mean, let's read Mark chapter five, beginning in verse one. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. 
And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and pulled it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which was the surrounding cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he wants us to know him and because he loves us. May have never met you before, may have not known you for a long time, or I may have known you for a long time. Either way, I know something that is true about you this morning. You might even call me a modern-day prophet. No matter who I meet, I can be sure that every person I come into contact with has one desire that they share with every other person in the world, and it's that they want to change. They want to change. Change, it's the universal desire everyone in this fallen world experiences. We all want to change. I know this about you because I know what the Bible says about the human condition. And I know myself. We all want to change. We all have a sense in our lives generally and in certain aspects particularly that our life is meant to be better. That what we experience now is not how God intended it to be. The desire for change is a universal human desire in a fallen, broken world. We all wanna be better. We all wanna be healthier. We all wanna create more margin in our lives. We all wanna have deeper relationships. We all wanna be healthier. We all wanna be more productive at work. We all wanna be more joyful, more brave, to read more. We want more peace. We wanna enjoy rest and contentment. We want deeper relationships with our spouses. We wanna know ourselves better. We want to know and love God better. We want to change. But how do I change? That's the central human question. We think about this question a lot through the course of a given week. How do I change? You know who else thinks a lot about this question? The advertisers that are going to bombard you in a few hours as you watch the Super Bowl. In fact, companies are willing to spend $5 million for a 30-second Super Bowl ad in hopes of convincing you that you could change if you simply buy their product. Talk about pressure for the marketing department. There are dozens of companies in America that spend billions of dollars every year with the goal of convincing you that your life could be better if you only bought what they sold. Some of the biggest advertisers in America include Procter & Gamble. In fact, they're the biggest. And they're trying to tell you that you can have the perfect home with the right cleaning products. General Motors, somewhere around four or five, 
in terms of how much they spend in advertising dollars. They're trying to convince you that life would be better if you drove their new SUV. Apple computers, we've all bought this one, hook, line, and sinker, telling you that you could be more creative and hip if you just bought their product, and I believe it. L'Oreal Cosmetics, trying to convince you that you can change your look with their product. All of these companies are really selling a lifestyle. They're, they're selling you the idea of change. That's what they're doing. And when people purchase their products deep down, they're buying the potential for change, the potential for the life they want. They're buying a better version of themselves. And it's not just advertisers that take advantage of our desire for change, this universal desire that we all have. There are also endless voices offering endless answers to that question, how do you change? We hear it from books written by experts. We're sold the potential for change through a better diet or a better exercise program. We're persuaded that change can happen if we modify our schedules and get organized. Health experts, business experts, politicians, family enrichment plans, Hollywood, social media, all of these voices like an avalanche that are beckoning us to change. It's endless. So the question becomes, how do we really experience change and transformation? Is it possible? What happens when you've grown tired of the voices that promise but never deliver? In our passage this morning, we see that through all the noise comes one totally unique voice. The voice of one who made you and knows how you're supposed to work. The voice of one who can bring the kind of change that we all long for. His path to change isn't advice. It's not advice on how to live better. It's not an example to follow necessarily. It's not a new schedule or a plan that he gives you. It's not about buying a shiny new product. What God does is he provides a person. He provides himself and the power he brings is the thing that can truly cause change. What happens when a life in need of change encounters the living God? Well, we see the answer in our passage this morning. We see a microcosm of the gospel story in our passage this morning. It's a small picture of the grand gospel story. We see this demon-possessed man at a watershed moment in his life. We see his life before Christ at the beginning of Mark 5 and after Christ at the end of Mark 5. B.C. and A.D. It's how we divide our calendars. It's how we divide our history. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus this morning, it's also one way in which you can divide your life. What was life like before Christ? And what is life like in the year of the Lord, our Anno Domini? Jesus knows we want change. He knows we need change. But we often miss the beauty and the change that Jesus wants to bring And it's because we've looked at our lives and labeled some aspects of our lives as unredeemable. We think we're too broken. We think we're too far gone. We've convinced ourselves that change is not possible. But one of the things we see from our passage this morning is that we're not in charge of deciding what is or what is not redeemable in our lives. We're not in charge of deciding if we're too far gone to change.
Jesus comes and he wants to offer us holistic redemption. He wants to change us, to restore our lives, no matter how far we've gone. And it happens as we allow Jesus to come into contact with our lives and specifically with our sin. We see in Mark 5 that Jesus comes and what he brings as he engages with this sinful man is change. To see that, let's look at this passage under three headings this morning. We're gonna see how Jesus pursues, how Jesus restores, and then how Jesus sins. Not sins, but sins. S-E-N-D-S. I love my job. I wanna keep it. First, let's see how Jesus pursues. We see in our passage that Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and he intentionally comes to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, this is significant because the land of the Gerasenes was Gentile territory and good Jewish people like Jesus and his disciples didn't associate with Gentiles. The Gerasenes would have been thought of as unclean and unsafe, especially in the disciples' minds. It was the other side of the tracks, so to speak, a place they never would have chosen to go to if they could help it. Yet here we see Jesus take his disciples and remember he takes them through a storm, the storm that we read about two weeks ago, just to get to the Gerasenes. And the disciples after this whole fiasco would have been wondering what in the world is Jesus thinking? Not only that, but we also see Jesus head straight into the graveyard once they get off the boat. He heads for the tombs making this field trip for the disciples even more unclean. In fact, this whole situation was as unclean as you could get for a Jewish person. We see Jesus crossing to the other side of the tracks in this passage into an irreligious territory and making his way towards a hopeless situation. And he does this to bring light to darkness. He brings this light into the darkness to redeem and to change this broken man. Jesus is aware of the brokenness that this man experiences. He knows how far gone he is. I wonder as you read this passage or as you heard it read this morning, what word you would use to describe this man's life BC, before Christ. Words like tragic or dangerous, unloved and unloving, those are words that come to mind. But the word that makes most sense in my mind is disconnected. In every way, this man is disconnected. He's disconnected from others. He's disconnected from himself. He's disconnected from God. Look at the description of the disconnection we get from this man. In verse three, we see that he lived in the tombs. He lived in complete isolation. He disconnected from other people. He's surrounded by death on a daily basis. The tombs were located outside of the city where people buried their dead away from the living. And this man was an outcast. He was lonely. No one wants to be around him. In verse four, we also see that he's uncontrollable in some sense. The passage says that he couldn't be bound anymore. This means that at one point he was able to be bound. At one point, people had actually tried to help him and to protect him from himself, but they couldn't do it any longer. He's dangerous and he's isolated. He's feared. He's got no relationships, no community. 
And this is the opposite of how we were designed to live and thrive. Evil, it seems, is growing in this man. We get a sense that brokenness started small, but it's getting bigger and bigger in this man's life. In verse five, we see he cuts himself with stones. This man is dangerous to be around and he's a danger to himself. He's disconnected from himself, not just others. He's not whole. He's not healthy. He's a shell of a man in some ways. He's constantly weeping and cutting. He's at war with himself. He hates himself so much that he wants to hurt himself. And in verse five, we see that he cries out continually. He was in physical and emotional pain. Can you imagine what this man might have looked like if you saw him? Blood from the cutting, bruises from the shackles, skinny from the lack of food. He was emotionally and physically devastated. Everyone would have been aware of this man. There's no hiding this type of dysfunction and this type of brokenness. And this morning, I think we can relate to this man. Maybe not particularly, but generally. Who among us doesn't experience some degree of internal chaos, internal pain, loneliness? Who hasn't felt like you've been written off? Like you've been given up on? How many of you have felt like you're surrounded by death oftentimes? You can't sleep at night due to guilt or anxiety. Maybe you do hurt yourself like this man even inflict pain on your body by how you eat or how you exercise, maybe inflict pain on your body just so you might feel something. To be sure, the changes that this man needed look far more extreme than what you and I need, but how different are they really? I mean, they may be different in degree, but they're not different in kind. We're this man in many ways. We're all disconnected from God, from others, from ourselves, and we're broken in the same ways. Isn't that true? I mean, don't you feel disconnected oftentimes in your relationships, with your work, in your parenting, and how you struggle with constant temptations, and how you struggle to connect with your spouse? Don't you ever feel like you're your own worst enemy sometimes? Like you just can't get out of your own way? Jesus pursues people like this in Mark chapter five. Jesus is actually on a mission for this man. He takes his disciples through a storm with the sole intention, the only intention is getting to this man. And what we see from this passage is that no one is ever too far gone for Jesus. We're never beyond the reach of God's grace. Could it be the case that Jesus is pursuing you even now? Whether you've been a Christian for decades or you're just considering the claims of Christ maybe for the first time, even the fact that you're sitting here this morning is a sign that Jesus is pursuing you. He wants you here. Jesus pursues people like this, people who are messy, who are out of control, who are chaotic, who are self-destructive. Jesus wants to meet you where you are in all of your emotional and spiritual chaos and your loneliness and your temptations and your dysfunctional relationships. He wants to bring hope and victory to the places where you've given up. The addiction, the depression, the anger, the self-hatred and the self-harm. 
Jesus wants to meet you where you are and he offers to heal your broken life. It's good news that Jesus wants to meet us where we are, but he doesn't stop there. He also wants to take us somewhere. He meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are. Jesus enters this man's life in order to bring transformation. In fact, Jesus went to this region, like we said, through a major storm. His disciples likely very angry at him for no other reason than to bring this man wholeness. Jesus crosses the lake with a solution for this man's life, and Jesus himself is the solution. As soon as Jesus reaches the land, this broken man sees Jesus and he falls to his knees in front of him in verse 7, and he identifies him correctly. Really the first time anybody in the Gospel of Mark up to this point on initially seeing Jesus identifies him correctly. It's a demon-possessed man. He says in verse 7, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, as I was reading the passage this week, that is not what I would have expected this man to say. I would have expected this man to beg for help, knowing who Jesus was, to beg to be free. But this man asks not to be tormented or tortured. We see something here that I think we can all resonate with. And it's that being healed by Jesus can oftentimes feel like torture. It's hard to be transparent. It's hard to acknowledge the dark places in our lives so that Jesus can change us. The way to healing is to be transparent, to allow Jesus to restore us, but letting someone into the dark places of our lives, actually articulating what we know we've done wrong but don't want anyone else to know about, that initially feels like death and it feels like torture. But Jesus intends to turn those things into life and freedom, just like he does with this man. We see Jesus ask this man what his name is and the demons speak through the man saying, my name is Legion for we are many. Now Legion, that's a technical term, technical term for 6,000 soldiers in a Roman army. What we see here is Jesus going toe-to-toe with an army of demons. And we see Jesus bring restoration and healing to this man like he has done time and time again in the Gospel of Mark, and he'll do again. We see him bring restoration and healing with just a few words. Get out, basically, is what Jesus says. Not in the text, but that's how I would, you know, paraphrase it. Get out. One word. It's significant that Jesus doesn't call on any higher power to help him to bring this restoration. He does it on his own authority. This story shows us what Jesus' mission is all about. Jesus is one who enters death to bring life. He comes to unclean places in order to bring cleanness. Jesus is about setting things right. He shows that he has the ability to restore even the most broken life back to wholeness and health. Look, the Bible teaches that you and I are made in God's image. Genesis chapter one, male and female made in his image. We were created to experience wholeness and freedom and life. Perfect connection between each other with ourselves and with God, both physically and spiritually. It's what we are made for. But something happened in Genesis chapter three. It didn't take long, page two of your Bible, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and decided to go their own way. Sin entered the world, and since then, it's been a defining factor for all of us, like a disease that's passed 
from parent to child, parent to child. You don't need to be demon-possessed to experience the destruction and the distortion that sin brings. We all experience it. And sin causes us to change. It causes us to forget who we are. Because of sin, we lose our identity. We're, we're filthy, we're unclean in many ways because of sin. The image we were created to bear, it's been disfigured and marred, so much so that it's almost unrecognizable. But Jesus comes to restore that image. This man is completely transformed. His sanity is restored. He's given a renewed peace and calm. And it all happens because Jesus came to pursue him, to make him clean, to bring him back to life. It reminds me of an incredible story I heard a while back out of Georgia. I could hardly believe it, but it was from a reputable news source. There was a two-year-old girl who was walking her dog with her mom one day, Saturday morning, and the dog got off the leash, and the two-year-old girl went chasing after her dog. And as she was running after her dog, she stepped on a plastic septic tank cover. And she stepped on this cover, and the cover flipped open, and the girl fell into the septic tank and was completely submerged in about 50 inches of raw sewage. Well, the mom began screaming for help, and it was heard by a nearby neighbor. And this neighbor ran, and he jumped in after this little girl, submerging himself in the raw sewage himself. He searched, and he came back up empty-handed. He couldn't find the girl. And so he went back in a second time, and he finally grabbed hold of her hair. And the little girl was pulled up after about four minutes of being completely um, submerged, and she was unresponsive. Another neighbor immediately started performing CPR, not really worried about what this little girl was covered with, obviously, and got the child breathing again. And it's an amazing story. I know all analogies break down at some point. These rescuers getting covered in filth so that they might rescue a helpless girl who was drowning in filth. But isn't that a real-life picture of what Jesus came to do for us? Jesus comes to rescue us from drowning in our own filth. And in order to rescue us and to bring healing to us, he had to experience the filth, the uncleanness himself. And he enters the filth of our lives so that he might bring us back to life. What we see here is that there is no one that's too bad. No one too far gone. No one beyond the healing power of Jesus. One pastor put it this way. Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Jesus brings hope and healing to our lives by bringing himself. So once Jesus restores this broken man, word begins to spread around the surrounding towns about this amazing transformation. And everyone rushes out to see what had happened. And we read in verse 15 that they came, the townspeople, they came and they found Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. It would have been unbelievable to these people to see this man like that. But why are they afraid of Jesus? Why did the crowd respond this way? They didn't throw a party for joy. They're not happy. They don't invite Jesus to come into their city and to do more miracles. What we see is that they're angry and scared. They ask Jesus to leave, keep on moving. Why is that? Well, 
they didn't like the fact that Jesus's restorative work cost them something. 2,000 pigs, gone. If you're a fan of bacon, that's heartbreaking. Think of the economic value of these pigs. Jesus wipes out a good portion of this town's economy and it would have been a massive hit for these people. It cost them something to heal this man and it wasn't worth it to these townspeople. The people saw the transformation that Jesus brought to this broken man, but they were more concerned about their comfort and their prosperity and their lifestyle than the disruptive transformation that Jesus came to bring. This passage shows us that when Jesus comes, he disturbs people. He brings the gracious disturbance of redemption and healing. And we see in this passage that some people welcome this disturbance and it changes them. And other people want nothing to do with this disturbance. And they ask Jesus to keep moving. What we see very clearly though in our passage is that Legion was worth it for Jesus. Whatever it cost. He went through storms to Gentile territory against the wishes of his disciples. It was all worth it to Christ. But the thing is, you and I don't normally believe that when we think of ourselves. We don't really believe that Jesus would do that for us. Maybe somebody else, but not me. But that's the gospel story. And as the story ends, the man who's been restored wanted nothing more than to be with Jesus. We see in verse 18 that this healed man begs to go with Jesus. And we think, of course he did but Jesus wouldn't let him follow him. Why is that? Well, Jesus, as we think about it, could really use this guy in ministry. I mean, what kind of crowds do you think this guy could draw? You know, this is prime missionary newsletter material. This would raise a lot of money if you're on the mission field, a story like this. But instead, Jesus asks this man to go back to his home and to do for others what Jesus had done for him. Jesus wants this healed man to go back and offer healing, to go back and offer others the possibility of change, to go back and to offer Jesus himself. This broken man is completely restored and he's sent back to bring that restoration to his family and to his friends. And it teaches you and me that we receive life from Jesus so that we might move back out and take that offer of life to others, to our friends and our neighbors. Look, this is a story of Jesus pursuing us to set us free. We see a naked, isolated, self-destructive man in Mark chapter five, one who is as hopeless as you can get, and he's completely healed and restored. And in this story, we get a small taste, like I mentioned, a small taste of what Jesus ultimately came to do for you and me. Because if we were to follow along in the book of Mark, which we'll do through the next few weeks, we would see that at the climax of the story, Jesus actually trades places with this man in a sense. Jesus, at the end of the book of Mark, he finds himself naked on a cross. Jesus, at the end of book book of Mark, he finds himself isolated from community. Jesus finds himself outside of the city among the tombs on a cross. Jesus finds himself shouting loud, incomprehensible things from the cross. Jesus finds himself torn by the stones that are in the Roman lash. 
Jesus is written off by his friends and his heavenly father. Jesus taking this man's place, and that's how healing and restoration ultimately comes. We can experience healing and restoration. We can change because Jesus himself came to share in our brokenness. He took the full force of our sin and brokenness upon himself so that we might be made whole. The beautiful one was broken on the cross so that you and I, the broken ones, might become beautiful. And this wholeness comes as we allow Jesus to enter our broken places to deal with our sin and to bring forgiveness and healing. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you are one who pursues, that you're one who restores, and that you're one who sends us back out to take that restoration and that good news of forgiveness to others. We pray this morning that you would apply the gospel deeply to our hearts, and that by believing this gospel, we would experience a renewed sense of transformation even this morning. Make us more like Jesus by what we've heard and by what we'll do now as we celebrate at your table. It's in his name we pray. Amen.